Good evening. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, those of you who don't know, my name is Jared Ortiz. I teach Catholic theology in the religion department, and I'm the director of the St. Benedict Forum. Again, the St. Benedict Forum, for those of you who don't know, is a ministry of the local Catholic Church, St. Francis of Sales. We're the Catholic Spiritual and Intellectual Institute, the Saratoga College, and West Michigan. We're very grateful for all of our co-sponsors who have made tonight's event possible. Hope College's Religion Department, the Environmental Studies Program, the Geological Environmental Sciences. We're also grateful to two Catholic foundations that are co-sponsoring this event. The wonderful Corpus Christi Foundation, based here in Holland, Michigan, and the Our Sunday Visitor Institute. We're very pleased to have Omar Gutierrez here to speak to us tonight about Pope Francis's latest encyclical on integral ecology and the Christian vision. <coughs> Omar Gutierrez is the special assistant to the Archbishop of Omaha, George J. Lucas, and the manager of the Office of Missions and Justice. <coughs> Mr. Gutierrez has a weekly radio program entitled Regnum Novum, the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching. He is a very busy author, writing for the Catholic Answer, the National Catholic Register, Catholic World Report, amongst others. And he's the author of a lovely little monograph called The Urging of Christ's Love, <coughs> The Saints, and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Tonight, Mr. Gutierrez will speak on Praise Be to You, My Lord, How Christians Should Think About the Environment. Please help me welcome Omar Gutierrez.
Um, encyclicals are uh, pretty authoritative in the sense that uh, they're not infallible teaching, but the Pope uh, wants uh, what uh, Catholics read from it, uh, get from it, to be uh, something they incorporate into their lives, into their belief, and into their moral lives. Uh, and it's something generally considered that when it's a, uh, the topic's addressed in an encyclical, it should be generally considered pretty settled uh, issues. Um, what have previous popes said <clears throat> on the environment? Um, the, the environment and what the church has said about the environment falls within the realm of Catholic social teaching, uh, which is a branch of Catholic uh, moral theology. There's actually a section in the catechism, Catholic catechism on Catholic social teaching. Um, social teaching was a response to the realities of the 19th century, um, uh, where the, the whole world found itself struggling with the craziness of the 19th century, revolutions in philosophy, you know, with the Enlightenment and Hegelian dialectic and Nietzsche, uh, revolutions in, in politics um, with the, the various revolutions in Europe and elsewhere, and also revolutions, of course, with the Industrial Revolution. The way uh, people understood truth and politics and economics changed vastly in a very short period of time. And the church uh, responded with Catholic social teaching. <clears throat> How does a Catholic begin to live their life as a Catholic in the midst of this new world that we find ourselves in? So thus started Catholic social teaching. Uh, the first um, uh, instance then of, of uh, the talk on the environment in the context of Catholic social teaching uh, appears in 1971, uh, Pope Paul VI, in a document, the Latin is which just means on the 80th anniversary. Uh, he has a couple of lines about the environment, uh, basically saying that we are in danger of leaving for uh, our children or for future generations a polluted environment. Nothing much more than that. Um, but if you place yourself you know, back in the 70s, this was sort of the beginning of, of the movement, and, and some of you are too young to remember, but uh, there was a famous, uh, 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 the, <laughs> some of you aren't. Right? <laughs> uh, I didn't want to point it out, but I'm glad you picked up on it. Um, uh, there was a famous ad campaign about Keeping America Beautiful with the Native American. Yeah. Um, it was famous. There were posters everywhere. It was, you know, it was the, the big thing, and, and the ad was, uh, this Native American fellow sort of going to the, the rivers and things, and there's pollution and black smoke in the background, and then it <coughs> ends basically with this Native American man with a tear going down his cheek, you know, saying pollution starts with people, pollution ends with people. It was a very effective campaign. And that came out in 1971 as well. So sort of the beginning sort of this awakening of environmentalism around this time. Um, it's around this time also, I think, that the, the river in Cleveland caught on fire. So, uh, you, you, get, you get, I mean, I'm not joking, it caught on fire. Um, so yeah, so it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting time. Um, the Cuyahoga River, exactly. Lake Erie is lovely now, Cleveland's a great place to visit. I, I um, so uh, uh, that, that was sort of the beginning. It isn't until uh, Pope St. John Paul II <clears throat> addresses it with uh, greater specificity and more thought uh, later, um, this is 1986, uh, with the document Solicitudo Re Socialis on social concerns. Uh, and here, John Paul II um, starts to talk about the environment in the context of the human person. He was a philosopher uh, by training and a theologian as well, uh, but he was very much uh, adamant about the human person, the dignity of the human person, and, and, uh, and making sure that we understood things in the context of people, personalism. Um, and so he begins to address the, the, the environment in the context of persons. Uh, we can, we, uh, he starts using this phrase, a human ecology. We require not just a natural ecology, but a human ecology as well. And I hope we can unpack some of that. And especially, I, I do want to leave a, good, a bit of time for question and answer and discussion. So that's John Paul II. Pope Benedict XVI is his successor. And he's sometimes referred to, even in the secular media, as the, the, the Green Pope, because he spoke a great deal about the environment in his personal addresses and, 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 and his encyclicals, and his great encyclical, Charity and Truth, which came out in 2009. Uh, he spends a good portion of it talking about the environment, and again, bringing up this language of a human ecology, uh, and in the context as well of, of bioethics and technology, etc., he, he addresses a number of those things in several paragraphs in that document. But Laudato Si, which comes to us from Francis, is the first encyclical just devoted only to the environment, environmental questions. Um, and, um, and some people ask, why now? Why is the Holy Father Pope Francis is, is uh, addressing this? In part, I think it's, it's very much because of 
uh, who he is uh, as a man, as, a, as a, someone who has come out of Latin America, um, as Argentinian, uh, and as someone who has cared very deeply and very personally for the poor. Um, in the United States, we don't always get this sense. I mean, Lake Erie and Cuyahoga River are really quite nice that we have the kind of wealth in our nation to be able to address some of these issues in a way that other countries can't. Um, and so uh, these questions in the environment affect the poor in other nations in ways we don't even see most often. Uh, and so it may not always a, a, a strike us as, as that adamant an issue, uh, but for the poor and elsewhere in the country, certainly, uh, elsewhere in the world, it certainly is. Um, so that's sort of the lead-in up to this time. Pope Francis um, is not necessarily really breaking any new ground uh, with, this, with this document. He is, in the sense, that it's the first one devoted just to this. And his tone and his style are certainly new and unique to him, and we love him for it. Um, but um, uh, he's, he's really sort of uh, taking what the previous posts have said and bringing it into a new uh, package, as it will, uh, so that's a more accessible to the rest of us. Uh, and so I want to talk about what he's, he's um, bringing forward uh, in, in three basic points. Right? There's a, it's a huge document, but three basic points. The first of them, my first point is that we, we can't help the environment if we don't understand the human person. We cannot help the environment if we don't understand the human person. Uh, the second point <clears throat> is that the way we treat things affects the way we treat people and vice versa. The way we treat things affects the way we treat people and vice versa. And finally, uh, the ultimate answer uh, that Pope Francis offers us um, uh, to these, these problems of the environment and so on and so forth is an encounter with God at conversion. Pope Francis is a preacher. Uh, he's, uh, he's a Jesuit. Right? He's, he's a missionary man who's about converting. Right? So the Jesuits are there for um, is to convert the world uh, to the to this, this God-man who died for us. So uh, an encounter with God and conversion. So we'll go through each of those and I'll unpack those. Uh, the first one, we cannot help the environment if we don't understand the human person. Uh, in paragraph 118, and some of these quotes are in your handouts this evening, um, <clears throat> in 118 the Holy Father writes, there can be no renewal of our relationship with nature without a renewal of humanity itself. There can be no ecology without an adequate anthropology. No ecology without an adequate anthropology. Uh, what's he trying to say there? Essentially, we, um, it's very difficult for us to even begin to have the conversation about how to properly address environmental concerns unless we have, we're starting from the same point when it comes to uh, who the human person is, what the human person is, what does the dignity of the human person demand of everyone, etc. Um, to help uh, try to explain um, uh, what the Holy Father is trying to communicate, I decided to use a poem, because poetry, I think, is, is, is a lost art in, in many ways. Uh, and poetry, the power of poetry is it can communicate so much in so, so few words. Uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to pick uh, this, this poem by Richard Kipling, uh, The Gods of the Copybook Headings. Now, just a little bit about the, the, the poem to understand where, where I'm going uh, for, and this is kind of a trip in my own head, so I'm sorry. But um, uh, the, the poem, the, the, uh, when English schoolboys uh, were, were, were supposed to practice their handwriting by copying aphorisms into their copybooks. And so, in, the, in, in that way, they would practice their handwriting, but they would only memorize also these proverbs and aphorisms that would come from anywhere. The kind of basic wisdom that is part of humanity throughout human history, whether it's from Indochina or from you know, the, the aboriginals of, of, of Alberta, Canada, it's, it's all, you know, there's a certain basic understanding of wisdom that all humanity sort of carries along with it. Uh, things just, you know, things like the idle man is the devil's handyman, right? things like that. Right? So uh, they would do this, so when, so when Kipling writes this poem, the gods of the copybook headings represent tradition. They represent basic human wisdom. Uh, they represent proverbs, um, uh, the natural law, if you will. Now, in the poem, the gods of the copybook headings are juxtaposed against the gods of the marketplace. Um, and not so much because Kipling was a socialist, but because he understood that the marketplace is, is, uh, can be untethered, right? And when untethered, when not connected to the gods of the, of the copybook headings, it can become dangerous. So I'm going to read to you one of the stanzas here. Um, and um, uh, when I say Stilton, that's a reference to the cheese. So it's a nice blue cheese. Um, but, but here's the stanza. <clears throat> With the hopes that our world is built on, they were utterly out of touch. And the they there is the gods of the copybook. Tradition, right? You hear this, you know, the church is out of touch or whatever. 
So with the hope that our world is built on, they were utterly out of touch. They denied that the moon was Stilton. They denied she was even Dutch. <laughs> they denied that wishes were horses. They denied that a pig had wings. So we worship the gods of the market who promised these beautiful things. What, what Kipling is, is trying to tell us, and Pope Francis says this in a number of various ways in, in the encyclical, is that there's, a, there's something wrong in us as human beings. Um, we love to be told things that we know can't possibly be true. Um, we love to be told they can be true and they can be ours. All you need to do is wish upon a star and your dreams will come true. You can be anything and anywhere you ever want and all you have to do is want it enough. We love to be told these things um, and the marketplace is there to tell us we can have it all. We can, we can consume and we can <coughs> buy and we can do, we can do anything we want and there's never any consequence for anybody else. Right? And you'll only get smarter and, and taller and handsomer uh, and you'll lose weight and, and all sorts of wonderful things. This is what the marketplace tells us. And so despite all this, right, despite even though there's this voice behind us, the, the voice of, our, of the gods of the comic book headings, the voice of our grandmothers and grandfathers, who are telling us, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. We, we want to listen to the gods of the marketplace. We want to listen to, uh, to those who tell us we can have it all. And what Pope Francis uh, says in many different ways in the encyclical is, uh, we, have to be, uh, we have to realize that technology and financial markets are not going to be able to answer all our problems. Simply can't. And we're fooling ourselves if we can't. Um, one of the uh, uh, results, or one of the, one of the reasons why we listen to the gods of the marketplace, we listen to this insistence that we can have everything we want, is because of something St. Augustine talks about in the Confessions. And I, I hope if you haven't read it, you will at some point. Uh, there's the famous scene in Confessions where Augustine's a young man, he's 16, and he, he steals into a friend's vineyard uh, to, 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 to get some pears, which is this famous pear tree scene. Uh, and he and his buddies are there, and, and Augustine writes that the, the reason he was attracted first to the prayer tree was because it was part of creation. He actually says this. It was because you created it, O Lord. It was beautiful to me. But his buddies, a 16-year-old guy, friends, weren't there to, you know, to wax philosophical on the beauty of a pear tree. Right? They wanted to destroy it. <clears throat> so they, they, they stole the pears, but they also like, they shook the tree. And I had these images of these, these young boys like throwing pears at the highest pears on the tree just to get all the pears off. And then, once they're all on the ground, Augustine tells us, they picked them up, and they didn't eat them. This wasn't about eating, they weren't hungry. They threw them to the swine. It was just about, you know, like little boys do. I have, you know, the two and four, four. It's like a boy taking a stick against a flower. It's just, this, they wanted to prove something. Now, Augustine, years later, is, you know, thinking about this in the Confessions and wondering, why did I do this? And, and Augustine says, it, I did it because I knew it was wrong. So I did it because I knew it was wrong I could get away with it. And he said, it, and, it, and it gave me, and these are his words in translation actually, but it gave me a deluded sense of omnipotence. Deluded sense of omnipotence. A sense that I was all powerful, that I could have it all, that I was complete control of my own destiny. As previous popes have said, and as Pope Francis says a number of times, technology and financial markets are simply tools or forms of socio-human activity. Technology has a user behind it or an inventor who's a human person. And markets aren't some magical force, they're people. We are the market. Persons. So where are we and how are we encountering the persons involved in this equation? That's what the Holy Father is trying to get us to see. In other words, behind the technology are all these persons like you and me so these are not autonomous mechanisms that function on their own, under their own mystical powers. And this is very important to understand because as we are you're struggling to try to maintain this omnipotence for ourselves, uh, there is this uh, uh, attitude in our culture uh, which is very, very dangerous and which Pope Francis says is at the root of all our environmental and social problems. And I have this quote for you. It comes from paragraph 6. Um, but, but Pope Francis is actually quoting uh, Pope Benedict XVI. But he says this a number of different times, that at the root of all the problems, ecological problems, and social ills that we face, the root of all these problems is the notion that there are no indisputable truths to guide our lives, and hence human freedom is limitless. And he says elsewhere, 
relativism. At the root of these problems, environmental and social, is relativism. The idea that there is no right or wrong. When I mentioned that ad before about the Native American fellow with the, with the, with the tear, right, the reason that ad worked as well as it did is because the, the, the marketers presumed that the audience, us, cared enough about other people, cared enough about the tradition of the Native Americans and their respect for the, for the environment of the United States, that we cared enough to want to change the way we behaved to care for our, our land. And they were right, thankfully, in, in many ways. Um, but that's not always true, sadly. There is a right and a wrong. Pope Francis says in the paragraph 123, we should not think that political efforts or the force of law will be sufficient to prevent actions which affect the environment because when the culture itself is corrupt, and objective truth and universally valid principles are no longer upheld, then laws can only be seen as an arbitrary imposition or obstacle to be avoided. We could pass all the environmental laws we want to, internationally even, as he, he asks for in the, in the document. But what will it matter if there's no such thing as right or wrong? There's no such thing as truth. If your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, then never the twain shall meet. This is the heart of the problem of the ecological and human conundrum. So this moral relativism, says Pope Francis, that is the rot that exists within our culture, and this is our state of things. Uh, so those who place their hope in technology and markets, which are really just people, really just people, while forgetting the human condition are, are fooling themselves. And more importantly, this attitude of omnipotence affects the way we treat our neighbor, which leads me to the, the second point. So the first point, <clears throat> we need to understand the nature of the human person. We need to understand these, these pulls, these temptations that are, that are rea realities in our lives. <clears throat> the second point, the way we treat things affects the way we treat people and vice versa. In paragraph 116, Pope Francis writes that an inadequate presentation of Christian anthropology gave rise to a wrong understanding of the relationship between human beings and the world. The result, he says, again from paragraph 123, is, quote, the culture of relativism is the same disorder which drives one person to take advantage of another, to treat others as mere objects, imposing forced labor on them or enslaving them to pay their debts. This same use and throw away logic generates so much waste because of the disordered desire to consume more than what is really necessary. Uh, this attitude of uh, we can have whatever we want translates then into um, a habit of treating people as means to an end. If I can have whatever I want, if that's what the marketplace demands, if that's what the marketplace tells me is the, is the, the, the symbol of my success and happiness, then any person who gets in the way of that is no longer important in my mind. It's an obstacle to my being able to get to what the marketplace has told me I can have. Relativism leads to consumerism, which leads to a throwaway culture. Um, and the Holy Father is trying to tell us <clears throat> that living more simply is not just about saving the environment, although it obviously is, right? But it's also about saving our souls. It's also about saving our souls. Again, he's not necessarily the first person to say this. Uh, Pope St. John Paul II said the same thing many years ago. I think it was 1987 with Familiaris Consortio, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the document he wrote on the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And in that book, he's describing these, these sort of four, four signs for the Christian family. And the family, he says, needs to be open to life. And this openness to life uh, involves uh, <coughs> uh, education. And he says, the root of the education is parents need to teach their children um, the proper relationship between uh, people and things. That's what he says is the very root of it, the proper relationship between people and things. And, he, and Pope John Paul II says, the way we do that <clears throat> is by living simple and austere lifestyles that teach our children that people are more important than things. That's St. John Paul II. Why? Because... Uh, we're, we're creatures of habit, right? This is part of human nature as well. We're creatures of habit. The more we're in the habit of, of treating things as, as something, something we can simply use and throw away, the more likely we are, more habituated we are to treating people in the exact same way, in lots of different ways. I, my father-in-law uh, is a convert to Catholicism, and he, he's 94 now, God bless him. 
the former philosophy professor, uh, and his mind is still quick as you know, attack. Um, and I remember him visiting us many years ago. This is a man who lived through the Great Depression. He was from Canada, uh, and lived through the Great Depression. And still to this day, won't talk about uh, those days uh, growing up in Canada. He lived, grew up in a poor family. Um, but I remember I was offering him, uh, he's, 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 uh, he is slightly diabetic, and his, uh, his wife lets him have one beer every day, which is like the best moment of his whole day. <laughs> he's Canadian, so it's like, it's good, gotta be good Canadian beer. So uh, it's this great moment I get to hand him, uh, my, wife's husband, uh, my wife's father, this, the, this, this, this beer. And, uh, and he was sitting on our futon, which we got when I was you know, early married or college or something. I didn't even know where the thing came from. But it's you know, made it partly of wood. It's probably fake wood of some sort. So, but he asked for a coaster. And I said, well, don't, yeah, don't worry. It's cheap, whatever. And I'll never forget the look he gave me. He said, no, but it's yours. Maybe cheap, but it's yours. This attitude of, of treating things as though they're simply something to throw away, that can bleed into so many other areas of our lives. And we can begin to treat people that way. If we're in the habit of using and throwing away things, we're more likely to throw away people. Um, and this is what the Holy Father is asking us to do. When uh, Pope John Paul II uses this phrase, human ecology, then, uh, which is a phrase then used by Benedict XVI and used by Pope Francis, uh, what, he's, what he's trying to get us to understand is what we, when we create, when we think about a, an ecosystem, we think of, of a, a system that with, with counterbalances, uh, and things that, that sort of feed into each other in a sort of cyclical, natural way. Um, what the popes have been saying is that we want a human ecology, um, a culture, in other words, uh, that helps to uh, balance out our lives, uh, and that is itself also somewhat natural, so that we can appreciate the beauty in each person for who they are as ends in themselves instead of as means to an end, instead of as a happiness for some, something in the future. Um, uh, that, along with, of course, uh, the fact that there's only so much stuff to go around. Um, that uh, uh, when we uh, treat things as though they uh, are limitless, right, um, uh, we can begin again to treat people that way. But the facts are that things aren't limitless. There is a, there's a finite amount of goods on this planet. And so it only makes sense, as the gods of the copybook headings would tell us, right? It only makes sense then. Uh, that we try to reduce our consumption, reuse that which we can reuse, and recycle that which we can recycle. Um, again, from Kipling's poem, uh, then the gods of the market tumbled, <clears throat> and their smooth-tongued wizards withdrew, <clears throat> and the hearts of the meanest were humbled, and began to believe it was true, that all is not gold that glitters, and two and two makes four. And the gods of the copybook headings limped up to explain it once more. Uh, they don't go away, and Pope Francis is again here to sort of tell us, look, this is, this is common sense, this is wisdom. Uh, we need to uh, live more simply. Right? Not just because it will actually uh, help re reduce what we use and, and keep more of the limited uh, finite goods here for the future generations, and that's important, <clears throat> but also because um, uh, for our souls, also because this affects the way we treat other people. All right. Now, uh, the third point. That we ultimately need an encounter with God who loves us. Uh, in paragraph 224, Pope Francis writes, It is not easy to promote this kind of healthy humility or happy sobriety, this living simply, right? when we consider ourselves autonomous, when we exclude God from our lives and replace him with our own ego and think that our subjective feelings can define what is right and what is wrong. There's you know, the reference to relativism again. Um, it's much harder for us to uh, argue for the caring of the other um, when we don't believe there's a right and wrong to begin with. In paragraph 119, <clears throat> Pope Francis writes that a correct relationship with the created world demands that we not weaken the social dimension of openness to others, much less the transcendent dimension of our openness to the vow of God. Our relationship with the environment can never be isolated from our relationship with others and with God. If you want to care for the environment, says Pope Francis, you need to be able to help <clears throat> care for your neighbor, um, care for those around you, uh, and that care uh, will begin to become part of you uh, when you enter into the dialogue with God, with the God who cares uh, so deeply for us, with the kind of God uh, who's willing uh, to send his only son to suffer and die for us. That's the kind of God we have. 
but the encounter with the Christian God changes the way we live and how we relate to the truth. <clears throat> Pope Francis writes in paragraph 222, he says, uh, Christian spirituality proposes a growth marked by moderation and a capacity to be happy with little. Um, when you think of the Christian tradition, the evangelical councils of, of, of poverty, and, and the great uh, impression that St. Francis, right, sort of the founder of this mendicant movement uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, through poverty, through poverty, through, through living simply, uh, so that others could simply live, uh, as the line goes. Um, this is part of Christian spirituality, and uh, the Holy Father uh, uh, mentions uh, one saint in particular that we could follow to help us do this, and actually he doesn't mention Pope, I mean he mentions St. Francis a number of times, but uh, in this particular spot he, he references St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, the little flower. For those who don't know, she was a, a French uh, a young woman. She died at the age of 24, very young. Uh, she had wanted to become a missionary and go be martyred for the Christian faith. But God didn't call her to that. He called her to a cloister in, in France. Uh, she lived in seclusion, praying for the rest of us uh, for all her short life. Um, but she, she came with this beautiful spirituality, which is often referred to as the little way of, of St. Lucia, the little flower. And this little way, um, uh, Pope Francis actually mentions. Um, it's in that quote there, uh, toward the bottom of the page, <clears throat> number nine. St. Teresa de Sioux invites us to practice the little way of love, not to miss out on a kind word, a smile, or any small gesture which shows peace and friendship. An integral ecology is also made up of simple daily gestures which break from the logic, break with the logic of violence, exploitation, and selfishness. In the end, a world of exacerbated consumption is at the same time a world which mistreats life in all its forms. Um, so uh, this spirituality is calling us to the spirituality that doesn't require that we become St. Francis and sell everything, right? Strip naked <coughs> the square and renounce everything our father ever gave us. Right? That's not what he's asking, that's necessarily what the Lord may be calling us to do. It can be simply as, as simple as this. Right? Uh, live where the Lord has you in love. And do every little thing with the love and for the love of Christ Jesus. Uh, and it's very important, as Pope Francis says in many other places, um, we don't confuse this with this, a kind of uh, general humanitarianism. Right? Uh, somebody can, can give up everything and, and, and move to Africa and care for for the poor, uh, for any, you don't need to be a Christian to do any of that. Right? Uh, Christopher Hitchens, who died uh, recently, the famous sort of uh, evangelical atheist, if, uh, if you will, uh, Hitchens was always very offended by the notion that just because he was an atheist, he didn't have morality. So that's, that's an offense to my humanity, and he's right. It is an offense to his humanity. Uh, you can be a very moral person and be an atheist. Um, but the, the distinction here, of course, is that the motivation for why we do the things we do is out of love for Christ Jesus. Uh, and while it may even look the same as it does for others, um, it, it's coming from that happiness with being happy with, with little, as Pope Francis says. That's the heart of this Christian spirituality. And he's wonderfully practical in a number of places, and maybe we can talk about this more in discussion time, but he's wonderfully practical. He actually gives the example of, he says, you know, if, if you find yourself in a position where you're, you're wealthy enough to afford a hotter home, right, turn down the thermostat and put on a sweater. And he says, and that's the beginning of the spirituality. That's the beginning of the spirituality, of being able to, to sacrifice in that moment, doing that little thing in love, right, uh, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of the kingdom. Um, so uh, Pope Francis, uh, uh, in this encyclical, asks us to rethink the way we, we, we have the conversation of the environment, I think, along the lines of what does this mean for human persons, always. Um, uh, he uh, calls us to sort of a baseline understanding of a sort of common sense natural law. We need to care for each other. It's commonsensical. We only have so much around us. We need to use it wisely, right? But he doesn't leave us there. Uh, he wants to connect us always <clears throat> with the God who is love, uh, with the God who calls us to communion with him uh, in, in our heavenly home here, in our common home, but also in our, our heavenly home up in so uh, that's, uh, that's the, the introduction, and, and I'm sure we'll have plenty uh, to talk about here in discussions, but uh, I'd love to take any of your questions or comments. Thank you. Thank you. Yes? How, uh, how do you think the American church is going to address this if we get to, in quotes, teach this to parishioners? 
Um, I think uh, that she'll do that um, by continuing to emphasize that, that fundamental dignity of the human person. Um, as, as Pope Francis is saying, I, I don't think you can separate this question of the environment from the question of that, that dignity of the human person. And so as the church is asking us to consider, um, uh, just, I was just thinking of this the other day, um, Let's take something like uh, pornography, right? Um, uh, when we look at something like pornography, where you're, you're actually looking at somebody as an object, right? um, when we preach against that, right? uh, when we encourage people to, to rethink the way they view that in their life, uh, we're leading them to the position where they might be able then to begin to, to change their life um, uh, and, and, uh, and view people as, as persons, and so then may be able to, to take care of the environment as well. I think it's one of the things he says constantly in this, he says it probably six, eight, eight times. He says everything is interconnected. I says it over and over and over again. Um, so uh, I think there are ways, you know, some bishops, for instance, are, are choosing to, to be more vocal about the environmental question, uh, calling people to reduce their consumption, calling, uh, you know, taking steps even in their own chanceries or in parishes to do environmental uh, um, audits, uh, how their parishes can be more efficient. Um, uh, I know in my archdiocese, the Archdiocese of Omaha, we've looked at doing that with the, with the, with the structures we have, the old structures we have, trying to be more efficient. There are concrete things to do there. Um, but within the parish, when you're, when you're talking to moms and dads who are spending so much time just trying to make ends meet and driving kids to practices, oftentimes you just start with the, the simple things, I think, of trying to get them to realize the connection between uh, the way they treat people on this question of the environment as well. Thank you. Yes? I um, don't seem to recall that when this encyclical was issued that there was much sort of ecumenism. The Pope didn't seem to, to reach out to our brothers and sisters and, and in the Protestant faith. Um, did I just miss that? And he did sort of attempt to align other Christian groups around this? Or did, did that kind of not happen? And if it didn't happen, why do you think it didn't? Um, I, I, I think there's, there's an answer yes and no. Is it a bigger in, issue than just the Catholic issue? Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think in the United States, uh, the way uh, it was talked about didn't uh, wasn't really connected with um, uh, other denominations uh, very much. I didn't see that very much in, in my archdiocese. Um, but the, the Holy Father is nothing if he's not ecumenical. And I know from his uh, point of view, uh, he he does uh, often reach out to uh, uh, Protestants and others um, to talk about this issue, uh, mentioning a number of ways. And, and that was, in fact, one of the I think reasons why this document was addressed in the way it was, that he didn't want it to be seen as merely a Catholic document. That he was addressing it to the whole world, and he made it really quite clear that, that he wanted to address everyone. And, um, to, in, the, in the end of the document, actually, he has two separate prayers, one that could be prayed by anybody, uh, and one that could be prayed by Catholics. Um, but for the explicit purpose uh, of, of mentioning this isn't just a Catholic issue, this is a, a wider issue we all need to be working on together. Um, now, obviously, the Pope doesn't have control about what local dioceses may do or how the media may, may talk about it, um, so I can't speak to why perhaps it was missed here, but he certainly made it a, a great point um, to, to, to reach out to others on, on this Sexy topics, right? You know, economics and politics, and 
uh, and all those great things uh, sort of wrapped up in one and God and everything. So um, uh, in the environment and environmentalism uh, touches on all those things. I, 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 what I love about the Holy Father's approach is that he's right, everything is interconnected. And so the environment helps bring in, this question of the environment, environmentalism helps bring in uh, this very fundamental question, which is actually why I think it's, it's such a popular notion today, is, um, uh, especially I think for our young people, is that it was really sort of where the rubber hits the road. If you believe in what you say you believe, how is that going to reflect in the way you behave right? and how you live your life? And that's what we're all, I think, ho hopefully searching for. Uh, and the environment and how we uh, um, consume that really makes it tactile and real. Uh, so that's, that's, oh, that's why I'm interested in the topic, and that's why I think it's part of Catholic social teaching, um, and that's why I like talking about it, because it, it's a forum for a great discussion. Um, who uh, influenced the Holy Father? I can't necessarily speak for that. Um, some of that stuff is uh, secret, actually, so we don't know exactly who did it. We know, though, that he um, did invite some of the leading uh, climate scientists from the, from the world to come speak to him, uh, theologians on various issues, um, uh, folks as, as disparate as uh, Colonel Mueller, who's um, uh, the, sort of the head of the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, considered you know, conservative, if you want to use that language, I don't, but uh, from that end, as well as uh, people who were, who were more liberal as well. So he's the, he's the kind of folk who really loves to bring people around and get all the perspectives to be able to provide his, his viewpoint. Yes? Say some more about integral ecology. Here's the document many times. Sure. Some people say it's sort of central yeah. idea. Say some more about that. Sure. So uh, again, with this idea that everything is interconnected, the word integral, uh, and this is a, a, a word that uh, uh, Pope Benedict XVI actually introduces into Catholic social teaching a great deal, um, uh, with this idea that we're looking at, um, um, let's say, a Christian life that understands we're not machines. You can't simply remove things as though they're a cog and expect the machine to continue to, to work. Uh, integral suggests that every aspect of our life uh, is organic and needs to be able to fit into the larger whole. So an integral ecology then uh, means that we can't simply focus on uh, this one issue of um, uh, renewables, let's say. We also have to ask the questions about uh, how are we treating people um, uh, in the labor force? And how are we treating people uh, um, in, in other areas of the markets? Because all of these things are integral. They all create a culture, an ecology, right, uh, that either advances the fundamental dignity of the human person or doesn't. Right? Uh, and so if we begin to view uh, top to bottom every aspect of our life with that, with that uh, paradigm um, of the dignity of the human person, uh, then we begin to be able to integrate different parts of the culture, the ecology, uh, one into the, into the other, and so have a holistic approach. Yes? It seems like the media, you know, say it's got a hold of the message, and uh, you did a really great job presenting it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank what, you. what I heard from the media was it's man-made global warming, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. right? And then I didn't really hear anything from the U.S. Catholic bishops to, to, to kind of balance that story. And you know, our parish in Grand Rapids, our parish in Holland, the priest didn't stand up and say, "What are you guys going to do about this?" You know, I mean, so there seems to be the message came out, and then it just that was it. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a struggle. So I, the, one of the interesting things is sort of inside baseball stuff, but um, I was impressed by how. Uh, proactive, pardon me, the Vatican was in providing Catholic dioceses with talking points and uh, views of how to express um, this document before it ever even came out. Um, and, uh, and then the document came out and it wasn't other than what we had been given, but it was, it was it's really very long. Uh, and it was very difficult to try to wrap one's head around it and be fair to every aspect of it. Um, in order to, to, to present it. Um, yes, the media focused on that because the media does what the media does, always sort of focus on the things that grab the headlines. <laughs> um, the Holy Father does talk about that in paragraphs 23 and following, uh, and he talks about it very honestly and very forthrightly. Um, but he talks about it in three or four paragraphs of 200 and some odd paragraphs. Um, 
so uh, I encourage you to go read that, and it's important. Uh, we shouldn't dismiss it. We, the fossil fuels do create these problems, and we need to deal with that and consume less than all the rest of it. But um, the main message here, again, is, is not to focus in on the one thing. It's considered the, the entire whole, that all these things connect one with the other. Uh, and we can't pretend that, um, uh, that just because we care about this one particular issue that we have no responsibility toward all the others. Um, now, as for what uh, priests can do with the pulpit, I, I would encourage uh, all pastors to talk about um, what you sort of suggest is what, what can we do. Uh, and there's some really, some wonderful, uh, toward, the, toward the end here, some wonderful uh, uh, things he says and suggests. You know, I mentioned the um, thing about uh, the, you know, putting on a sweater, but um, even, again, things like um, uh, um, what do you embody, what, uh, what kind of uh, media are you taking in? You know, Pope Benedict said, um, uh, that when you uh, engage in the market, when you, when you pay a dollar, you're voting, right? Uh, when you give someone your money, you're, you're affirming them for what they're doing. Um, and, and, and the opposite is true here. So Pope Francis actually, I think it's the first pope in the encyclical to encourage people to boycott, right? Um, you know, boycott, right? Uh, enga engage with the culture, create a human ecology uh, in our culture, and, um, and allow what you say you believe in your faith to affect where you place your money, um, where you buy things, who you're buying them from. Uh, if, if there's a corporation that's undermining the fundamental dignity of the human person, then don't participate in that corporation and let them know why. Um, th those are the kinds of, those are the beginning steps, I think, but it can't just end there because that can become its own uh, sort of uh, boutique spirituality as well. I feel good in myself because I'm a Christian because I'm boycotting so-and-so. Right? It can't just be that either. It also has to go deeper, and so I'd encourage pastors all to talk about, you know, picking up uh, Saint Therese's, uh, you know, a book on uh, I believe in love, right? Uh, reading Saint Francis de Sales, uh, engaging the spiritual life, because the spiritual life is part of that integral ecology um, that we all have to be part of as well. And maybe I could try to tie that in a bow and say, uh, you know, be a saint. Do <laughs> 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 what Saint Paul tells us, you know, pursue saints. Strands. There, there are those strands within the environmental movement that see the problem of the environment as being people, right? The, the problem is people. Whether too many people or some the right kind of people, whatever it might be. Um, in fact, there was, um, which I was just thinking about this the other day, there was, uh, I don't know if you caught this, in the, this was probably five, six years ago, somebody had broken into the Discovery Channel uh, headquarters with the bomb and intending to, to blow it up, and thankfully they stopped him. But when they when they looked at his manifesto, uh, they you know he said that, that there were just too many people in the world. We need to get rid of people. Right? We need to simply allow people to start dying and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and, and uh, it was it was a sad, but the man definitely had some uh, uh, some uh, mental health issues. Uh, so I don't fault him for that, but the reason I bring it up is because it was just about a week or two later that someone writing for the Financial Times of Canada, um, writing about the environment, they were having an environmental meeting in, in, in Europe, said uh, they can talk about all the environmental things they want, but we all know what the answer is, and the answer is a worldwide one-child policy. That's the answer. That's going to fix it. Um, so there is this strand. Um, <clears throat> what the Holy Father says is that that can't be the answer. Right? That does not build a human ecology. That begins to see, again, people as objects which we need to manage in order to fix a problem. It's a technocratic, use of that language, technocratic answer. Um, it's not a holistic, it's not an integral answer to the problem, I don't think. Um, and he also talks about one of the things he mentioned specifically and, and strongly condemns, oddly, uh, I was kind of surprised at the language, was carbon offsets. Um, he says that it can lend itself to kind of speculation. Uh, 
uh, and a financialization. And carbon offsets, so if you don't know, or you know, if, if you if you take a flight from New York to LA, you're you're adding to the the, the carbon footprint here in the United States. So to offset uh, the damage you've done to the environment, you could pay for let's say you know 80 trees to be planted in in, uh, in Canada or something like that to offset the carbon thing. Um, but uh, uh, but there are some outfits, for instance, who will uh, who will allow you to pay for uh, the sterilization of women in, in third world countries as your offset. Um, so again, it just it, it, it sort of breeds this this notion that the problem is people, right? certain kinds of people, um, and uh, and the, so the Holy Father condemn, condemns that that attitude. I think. Around. Uh, yes. Is there any plans for sort of a follow up on this encyclical? Just because of the fact that when this was released, immediately the media on the left and the right latch onto the words global warming. Right. Right? Nobody hears anything right. yeah. after those two words. Because yeah. you're either a believer that it's man-made or it's a hoax. Right. right. And that is really how it was framed. And I have certainly not read all of it, all of it, all of the encyclical just little bits and highlights and mm -hmm. stuff. And it's so much richer than just yes. man-made warming. Exactly. Talking about a whole ecology yes. care. Yes. Um, so having said that, I, and certainly Pope Francis must have known that was going to be the result, right? So is there any follow-up planned, or not as a as a stepping back from this, but more like, no, no, no look, let's look at it this way. Yeah. Does that ever happen? Um, yeah, you, you give a lot of credit to the church, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I, well, I'm a new Catholic, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I hope. It's the perennial problem. Uh, when Pope uh, St. John Paul II wrote Chantissima Sanus on the 100th anniversary uh, of, of Catholic social teaching, uh, and he meant it to be really the sort of touchstone document of Catholic social teaching. And, and said, time, you know, I really want my bishop. Um, he was so frustrated that nothing happened. He actually went out and he started his own sort of lay organization uh, called Chantismasana's uh, Broken Deepership, separate from the Vatican Curial offices, right? Because he's, you know, I just I want something completely outside the Vatican, so just connected to me and not having to deal with the, the, the just to, to get the word out about this teaching. Um, uh, so that's that's how he dealt with it. Um, uh, Pope Francis, I think, will will not have a follow up just in the sense that there's not going to be, uh, I think, um, uh, more uh, on this specific topic apart from uh, what he says in his audiences, or what he's going to encourage people to come when bishops come and speak. Uh, uh, there's ad limited visits, and they come and visit him. Uh, he he might mention this in terms of uh, something he wants them to focus on in in their uh, um, uh, dioceses. Uh, he's used the papal nuncios uh, very wisely uh, in the in the state of Nebraska, for instance, where I'm from. We, we were just able to uh, repeal the death penalty, and uh, that came up on the on the radar. Uh, and, uh, and so we, the Archbishop, got a note from the papal nuncio saying, "The Holy Father understands that this vote is coming up, and he wants you to know he wants you to stand for the church's teaching and appreciates all the work you have to." So that's this is how he works, right? Um, uh, but more than that, I think within the Catholic Church, there's always kind of the sense from the outside that there's sort of this top-down hierarchy thing, but um, uh, really the desire of, of my Archbishop and so many other bishops is that the laity sort of take up the call. That um, the, the so document is plant the seed and then... Yeah, exactly. The document is there, the seed is there, the language is there, it's been there for a while. This is the great encouragement um, uh, to, to take, I mean, you know, even something as simple to take my devotion to uh, the little flower and turn it into something I can use to help shape other people towards the environment. Um, that, those are the kinds of things I think you would love to see uh, from us, right? from us, from you. Now there's that famous uh, scene, uh, St. Catherine Drexel, who was a, <clears throat> a wealthy uh, heiress uh, who was uh, uh, shocked by the state of the Native Americans and African Americans in the United States in the 1800s, and went to go see Pope Leo XIII and said, uh, you know, really the church needs to do something about uh, these poor people in the Americas, and Pope Leo XIII said, yes, you should. 
and uh, and so then she ended up, you know, uh, founding an order and founding these universities and so on and so forth. So yeah, yeah. I, I think too. Uh, back to a, a term that's been used a lot uh, as we've gone through these analogies. Think globally, but act locally. Local, yes, yeah, absolutely. We all need it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's a very good point. The, <clears throat> the tendency sometimes, at least for me, is to try to think of you know, these big picture things while and at the same time I, I have little habits in my own life that I can begin to be addressing immediately, right? That I actually do have control over, right? Uh, but may not be as glitzy or as, as uh, uh, emotionally fulfilling. Right? It might actually require some sacrifice for myself. Thank you. The sweater is okay. A sweater's grand, yeah. maybe two. So yes. you kind of mentioned this idea about sacrifice, but how do you think that we can tell people that it really isn't about sacrificing? I mean, it's just kind of making minor changes, and it's not going to affect your life in this huge manner, but it's just little things that add up and make a big difference. Right, I think, um, I think that's true. I, I, I think sometimes what causes a lot of us uh, to uh, sort of balk at any kind of real changes, the fear of what it will mean. This is true of the spiritual life, right? Jesus is the great cookie monster who's going to take away any, everything from me. In reality, he wants to show us how much he loves us. Uh, and in that love for him, then I'm only too glad to get rid of things, right? Um, nevertheless, uh, you know, the saints talk about it as, as a purgation. The saints talk about it as something I am giving something up. But I'm, I'm happy to do so, but it is, I am losing something. Um, so I, I don't think we want to... Uh, shy away from that language. Uh, I think we want to be honest with people and say to them, yeah, it is a sacrifice, but it's something that uh, you'll be able to lean into and, and, uh, and grow from. Um, again, not because, and this is a good point, I'm glad you brought this up, not, again, not because uh, I'm, I'm engaging in my will to force myself to do this thing. Anybody can do that. What Pope Francis is asking is that out of love for Christ and the desire to be closer to him, uh, we'd be, be willing to sort of let go of these aspects of our life, which will be sacrifices, but, but happily so. Right? Because they, they draw us closer to the one who said that when you do this for the least of these, you do it for me. Yes, sir. I, uh, I remember the commercial you referred to yes. in 1971, and I was uh, taking my first macroeconomics course. And so I asked my professor what he thought of it, and this, this notion of live simply so that others may simply live. It's a horrible idea. You know what they would do to capitalism? We went on and on spout talking about you know what all capitalism has done for the West and all the fact that we're living much longer lives and all, all kinds of things. good things, not necessarily bad. No. What do you say to a professor like that? Yeah, I, I would say look, uh, so you know talking about economics in the seventies and E. F. Schumacher was, was an economist, oh, yeah. right? Um, no. Small is beautiful. Small is beautiful. Yeah. yeah right. uh, and so, uh, so what I would say is, uh, look, the, the capitalist system, uh, the free market system, the system that, that that allows us to be small, right? That allows us to live simply. That allows us to use the market to, to advance um, uh, our own moral worldview. Uh, that's that's the wonder of it. Is it's, it's not. Uh, it's not baked into the system that it has to be this way or that. We can make it our own in a certain sense, uh, based on our own uh, morality. And so, um, I don't. I think it would be wrong to, to say that the um, <laughs> that the, the goal of any economic system is to uh, produce these these numerous or numerical results. The goal is the advancement of society, the advancement of human persons. Um, and I don't think capitalism is inimical to that. And so I. I I would just agree with him that, that it's an either-or proposition. You can have a healthy economy and still look simple. Absolutely. Or at least we can try, right? I, I think yeah. <laughs> yeah. But don't you think part of the problem is actually this, deciding what a healthy economy is? Mm, that's a good question, yeah. Because if we, if we believe it's a growth model, that, that's a sign of health, doesn't that lead us to some of the things that Pope Francis is talking about in terms of consumption and degradation of the environment? Yeah, it, it depends, right? It always depends. That, that how much, if growth is great, growth is important, but how much growth, right? And if the, if the paradigm is more growth is always better, which is the, is the presumption, right? More growth is always better, um, then the more growth can mean uh, trampling people's uh, dignity underfoot. So yeah, I mean, essentially, you're right. Is is um, 
what is what is growth, what does health mean for an economy? Uh, and I think the what the professors seem to suggest is that, that health is defined by by the kind of growth uh, that doesn't take into account its effect on family, effect on people, and so on. Yes. Comment on that. One notorious American environmentalist coined the phrase ideology. Unlimited growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, but yet that is one of the assumptions often of modern economic theory. Yes. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the assumption, but that is often the assumption. But yeah, that's what a cancer cell does. It just grows yeah. and grows and grows. Without any without any constraint or restraint exactly. or limit. Exactly. Until it kills the system that's growing. Precisely. Maybe one more question. Yes. Um, I was interested in how the Vatican actually gave you information yeah. before it came out with some talking points. You know, I wonder do you think we're going to get better at that? As you know, because this was a few years ago when I was thinking my mom was, I don't know, late 80s or whatever, and when Pope Francis talking about whom I would judge, and it was regarding um, a same-sex couple. And my mom was like, the Kalamazoo Gazette basically twisted it. The lesbian, gay, transvestite community basically said, see, Catholics don't believe in the sacrament of marriage anymore. It's, you know, anything goes. And the whole article was like that. And I'd love to say it was the only newspaper that did it, but it was very, very common. And I just wonder if they're going to get better at getting it out quicker. No, the, the Catholic Church believes in the sanctity of marriage. Yeah. Um, the, the, they I don't this, believe anything's a marriage. Right, yeah. No, I think that this, the, a, a few things to say. One, one is, I mean, just quickly, no. Right. I don't think we're going to get better in that because the the, the church isn't um, the church isn't a Fortune 500 company that has people that manage communications in the same way that other companies, other organizations do. Um, uh, we're bad at it. I mean, the, the Vatican is not good at it in the American context, but uh, the church is the church of the whole world. Um, and um, in in one very real way, that the church isn't uh, doesn't exist to try to manage media. Um, that's a hard thing to say when we live in a culture that is driven by media, uh, and when sometimes uh, the, the, the conversion of my child is dependent upon what they pick up in the media. Um, so I, I don't say that triumphantly or cavalierly, it's just I think it's, it's fact. Um, now, in the past, uh, the church has been better about <clears throat> dealing with that because the popes who've been the pope have been more cautious and more reserved in the things they say. Um, uh, Pope Francis, and I recommend uh, you reading the biography uh, by Austin Ivory called The Great Reformer. It's, it's a really great biography. But one of the things I discovered in, the, in that uh, book was that um, the Pope, uh, Pope Francis, when he was in Buenos Aires, never talked to the media. Um, he made a point of it. He didn't like talking to he had a priest who would do that for him. That's why that guy, with Father Marco, was there to talk to the media for him. And Father Marco said that the Holy Father had spoken more times in the media in the first three months of his pontificate than he did in 18 years of one of his So this is new to the Holy Father. Uh, and the way he communicates is the way he communicates with the people in the, in the, in the body in, in, in Buenos Aires, in a very frank, in a very real way. And when he communicates, he doesn't have theological constructs in his head um, uh, or uh, the way the media might twist it, he's thinking of a person. Um, he's thinking of somebody he had a conversation with um, and, and that's who he's talking to. Um, which is a sign, I think, of just how um, uh, environmentally corrupt our conversation is in the media. That somebody can't have that personal conversation with somebody else without it being Twisted. Um, so it's a sign of our environmental and human degradation when that happens. Um, but uh, my hope, and the hope of many people who work for the church in the United States and elsewhere, is that uh, we'll get better at being able to tell our side of the story and have more opportunities to do that, and that we never give up telling the, that story. Um, 
so on many occasions I've, I've tried to give the rest of the context of that particular comment and so many others so that people understand that, um, uh, that they can uh, really depend on the church to provide them with the truth that they've always, always been wrong. Yeah, that's tough because, you know, here my mom's an elderly person and she's reading this knowing yeah. it's not true, yeah. but she's asked me what really did he say and right. what was it really about. Right. Yeah. I know it's frustrating. And uh, when the, I won't say which comment it was, but there was a comment recently uh, and I was, uh, we were already getting phone calls in the chancery and, and people were angry about this and that other thing and I was struggling to find just somewhere on the internet anywhere uh, the actual comments by the Holy Father. It was, it was almost impossible to find them. Uh, from the Vatican website or from anywhere, I couldn't get what he actually said. Um, it was, and by that time, in the American cycle, it's, it's too late. It's already out. One other thing. Have you seen the uh, Jesuits uh, program, Dating God, uh, that they talk about the, uh, the encyclical? Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, it, it, uh, and I, I found that it was very good from the standpoint that it went right back and addressed some of the issues of creation and, uh, and, and the different forms that, you know, we were, you know, what what's made us think that we can continue to pilfer and, you know, take over the resources mm -hmm. and, you know, you shall subdue and, you know, take over. You know, All right, yes. That those things were meant in a different way. So, uh, uh, and I think there's a series of six or eight of them. I think they're going to do some more. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. I found it by, by going to the Daisy God. It's a little unusual. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little. Another judge. Just a little. <laughs> well, God bless you.